It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for nearly the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. You could argue this weekend was one of the wonderful times, and we'll get to that in a minute. But Ben, first, the Super Bowl was yesterday, Super Bowl Sunday, the most American of all holidays. The Kansas City Chiefs won. The underdogs, they roared back from, I believe, 10 points down to beat the Philadelphia Eagles 38-35, if I'm not mistaken. It was actually a heck of a game, which you don't always get out of a Super Bowl. So that was good. Uh, Most importantly, though, I guess, and we don't always talk about our gambling exploits here on The Proper. We normally keep that stuff behind the Patreon paywall, but... uh, you hit your prop bet for an octopus. Yeah. Why don't you tell the kids at home what that means? First, before I get into it, allow me to say, what's up now? <laughs> Man, you sound like Kelsey right now after the Super Bowl. Talk none y'all pick the Eagles. Now. I, I, I ain't seen none y'all pick the Eagles <laughs> or pick the Chiefs, he said. Ain't none y'all pick the Chiefs. Talk your shit now, because your boy put $1 <laughs> on the octopus bet at plus 1,400 odds. Took $1, turned it into 15 which is good, because I found ways to lose on pretty much every other bet that I had, including my attempts to parlay UFC 284 action with Super Bowl action, and I managed to be exactly half right in my parlays. And that doesn't do you any good, is the thing they don't no, tell no, you. It doesn't. But right. I was, man, so the octopus. Yeah, don't get ahead of yourself here. I had to tell you on Friday, I've been a red-blooded American male my entire life, and I had never heard the football terminology, the octopus, before last week. So you got to tell the people what that even means. The octopus is when one player scores a touchdown, and then on the ensuing point after, they go for two, and that same player scores the two-point conversion. And it has to be on the ensuing play. It can't be later in the game. It's got to be bang touchdown, bang two-point conversion by the same player. 
the six points plus the two, eight points. That's the octopus. And your man Jalen Hurts is the perfect candidate to go out there and score you an octopus. Because yeah. yeah. he can run it in. He can, with the QB sneak, he can just run it in, uh, just come taking the ball under center and, and finding a hole. It's just, just a hell of an all-around athlete. And man, was I ever hooting and hollering when that thing cashed. Because I'd I'd already had to sit there and listen to you with your texts. I didn't even get to see the coin flip. I was preparing my snacks. <laughs> I was still preparing my monster nacho plate. Which, you want to know how you do a nacho plate, my man? Ruffles, tortilla chips, Doritos. Just several different compartments. Cheese yeah. sauce, uh, hamburger meat, onions, tomatoes avocados, more cheese sauce. I was in the middle of doing that. My phone buzzed, and I just looked at a text from Chad Dundas, and all it says is, tails, bitch. And I go, well, okay. I guess I guess the coin flip must have happened. Yeah. Well, you know, I got to celebrate the victories because that was the only Super Bowl bet that I hit was on the coin toss. So <laughs> How much did you put down sh- on that? That was a $2.50 bet. That's okay. $5 payout for winning the, cord- the coin toss. Uh, I got to say... I tipped my hand on this a second ago, but my two favorite parts of the Super Bowl was were when members of each team brought a little MMA feel. They brought a little big MMA energy to the table. And one of them was when there was a, an instant replay review down the field on whether or not there was a catch. And the young and dashing head coach for the Philadelphia Eagles turned to look at the Kansas City Chiefs defense and like waved them down the field as if to say, come on, we're going to win this challenge. You better come down here. And Jalen Hurts had to grab his arm and pull it down as if to say, don't do that, coach. Come on, let's be classy. (laughs) And the other big MMA energy part was in the post-game interview when Patrick Mahomes is trying to be be super vanilla and being like, oh, you know, it's a good team win. I got to give it up to my guys. You know, we all played hard. We worked hard. And then Travis Kelsey was like, ain't none of y'all picked the Chiefs. I saw y'all. I say none of y'all picked the Chiefs. And I was just like, okay, yeah, no, that's uh, that I can get down with. That's I expect Joe Rogan to ask that guy to talk us through the replay as soon as he gets done yelling about how ain't none y'all pick the Chiefs. Yeah, and uh, then we're going to ask you know who he wants next, that kind of stuff. He's going to invite everybody <laughs> to his after party at the Palms, and mm-hmm. uh, we, we know what to make of that. The regular sports yeah. world might not always know what to make of that. To us, that's you're speaking our language at that point. Yeah. He wasn't holding up an empty water bottle covered in a monster energy drink sticker. But other than that, <laughs> I felt I felt right at home. OK, we're going to get to the MMA talk here. Remember, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. But if you like what's going on here, don't forget to go out and follow us on Patreon. Sign up to support the team. Ben Folks and I are party rocking over there all week churning out that additional MMA content. We've got Wednesday's live chat where we take your questions for a full 60 minutes. We got Thursday's doing the damn thing podcast. And of course, Wednesday's power hour, which is a full hour of curated MMA talk to get you ready for the weekend's action. Come get down with us. We got a patronage tier for every budget. Head on over to patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up to join the team. Support the podcast that supports you so tenderly. Uh, You can also head over to our new merchandise shop where you'll find old school favorites like the original Dundasso t-shirt and the old school cowboy astronaut cigarettes merch you can also find a lot of cool new stuff over there like our brand new are you fucking kidding me shirts 
officially licensed merchandise merchandise for the dreaded MMA gods. And of course, the hottest seller on the on the market, the Bobby Nux shirt. Just go to our website, comainevent.com and click the link at the top of the page that says shop. We partnered on the shop with our friends at Superconductor. They are a brand and design studio. You've been seeing their stuff on the CME for a long time. We can't recommend them highly enough for all your design needs. Hit them up at studiosuperconductor.com or on Instagram at Studio Superconductor. We got music again this week from longtime listener and friend of the show, Ross Jarborg. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash S-T-H-L-M Ross, R-A-S. Again, S-T-H-L-M Ross. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Islam Mahachev may have won the fight, retained his lightweight title, and claimed the number one overall spot in the pound-for-pound rankings. But did Alexander Volkanovsky win our hearts and minds? Did he, though? And And in round number two, but... It, would it be MMA without some controversy? Did the judges get the decision right? Did Mahachev illegally cheat using an, an IV? Are we cruising at this point toward an inevitable do-it-again-brother situation? And in round number three also, it's not as if Volkanovsky is out of options. He's still the rightful champ at 145 pounds. And hey, look, there's already a new interim champ for him to fight in Yair Rodriguez. Crazy how that works. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by our friends at NordVPN. NordVPN is one of my favorite things on the market right now. I use it on all my devices. I know Ben does too. It's super fast. It's easy to use. Even I can figure it out. NordVPN will give you the peace of mind of knowing that all your personal information is safe online, whether you're using the internet at home, traveling, or just running around town and your phone is bouncing from public Wi-Fi to public Wi-Fi. Ben, what's your favorite part about NordVPN? Well, I love how it keeps me covered when I'm all over the place running around town as I do, whether I am at the sauna at my local gym, Jeb, uh, getting on their Wi-Fi, whether I am at the black market nurse office uh, getting an IV and on their public Wi-Fi, whether I am at my attorney's office as we discuss how to cover up that I got a black market IV, doesn't matter where I am, as I pop on those public Wi-Fis, NordVPN has me covered. I love it. You know what? I think it might be bad for your phone if you're using it in the sauna. Nah, it's fine. You think it's good? You nah. think it's, it's waterproof? Be all right? You know what? Like it, it makes noises every once in a while. Sparks come out, but that's just part of the fun. <laughs> that is. That's just part of the... Uh, the package that you've got. Yep. Uh, you guys have already heard about the Nord security bundle. If you've been listening to this show for any amount of time, NordVPN has three easy options for how to use it. You can get the standard plan for your basic VPN needs. You can get the plus plan if you need a little something extra. And if you want to go all the way and get the whole hog, you can get the complete plan, which will take care of your every need. Enjoy the leading VPN service and malware blocker, generate and store strong passwords, protect files in an encrypted cloud, Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to NordVPN.com to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus plus a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with NordVPN's money-back guarantee. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from the ghost of Ned Kelly. 
I think I'm actually going to read two of these at once because they both concern the same guy. Here's the ghost of Ned Kelly writes, can we talk about how easy Jack Della Maddalena, AKA flat nose Jackie makes this shit look? How do you think he would stack up against the top guys at the moment? And then our guy TRT Tom over on Patreon writes in, courtesy of Sean L. Shoddy, Jack Della Maddalena shall henceforth be known as Jackie Three Names. Love it. Now, yeah, the good news is oh, you don't even, you don't just need to have one nickname. You can't just, you know, you're not restricted to one nickname up here at the co-main event podcast. This could, we could have some Wu-Tang Clan shit going on. Everybody mm-hmm. could have five different names. <laughs> so as far as I'm concerned, we got two really solid options here in Jackie Flatnose and Jackie Three Names. Flatnose Jackie. I'm down for whatever. I'll ride with them. Yeah, Flatnose Jackie, Jackie Three Names. You know what I especially love about Jackie Three Names is not only, of course, does it sound like a great minor character in Goodfellas, but Jackie Three Names is itself a nickname that has three names. Jackie yeah, Three no. Names. I fucking love it. Sean Alshadi came up with this. I mean, I expect nothing less from our dude. I mean, he he's always been bringing the excellence in the MMA space. And we appreciate when you really contribute to the nickname discourse, as I think he has done here. Jackie Three Names is just fun to say. It, it yeah. works on several levels. Plus, Chad, as you know, as you have noted, I kind of have trouble sometimes with this. There's <laughs> so much going on. There's so much. It feels like like the syllables and the, the vowels and everything. There's just a lot going on in this name. And so if you yeah. give me an opportunity to not have to fuck it up, I will take that opportunity. No, I know you will. Uh Meanwhile, flat nose Jackie, perhaps not as complimentary, but nonetheless accurately <laughs> descriptive. Yeah, it's, see, that's that's one of those true nicknames in the sense that it's not one you'd come up with for yourself. <laughs> no, it is it's not. It's not You're you not and the your... boys sitting around the gym trying to think of what would be cool, what would be scary. It's other people being like, I, as a impartial observer, have assessed the situation and have something to contribute. That's that's yeah. what a nickname is all about, really. But we digress. Jack Della Maddalena goes out there, flattens Randy Brown. It took him all of two minutes and 13 seconds to do it. Finishes it up with a rear naked choke. Randy Brown's legs alone are about as tall as Jack Della Maddalena. Uh, and that was giving him some trouble, you know, for 45 seconds yeah. or so <laughs> until he got inside. Uh, landed a really solid punch that honestly might have had Randy Brown out of there just by that followed it up with some just thunderous hammer fists and ground and pound, got him to roll over and then uh, jumped on that rear naked choke about as quick as you can do it. He's the 26 year old Australian now 14 and two with four straight wins in the UFC five. If you want to count his Dana White contender series win, he's picked up three consecutive performance of the night bonuses. And we've been saying for a while now, and the UFC clearly knows it. They might have something in Jackie three names here. Yeah. And this felt like we, we kind of knew what we were doing with, with this one, right? That we got the Perth boy, you know, it's not like there's a ton of you guys on the UFC roster born and raised in Perth that we can put on the card when we're coming to Perth, Western Australia, which we're always going to mention. Was this a site fee kind of thing, by the way, I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but the way we were always saying Perth, Western Australia. Every single time it was on the the octagon right in each fighter's corner. So we'd see it in the background during introductions where it said Perth, Western Australia. And the fact that we were always mentioning what part of Australia it's in made me feel like we must have done some kind of 
tourism board deal here to because it seems like the branding is very on point but you don't have a ton of guys from that region to choose from so when you do have one you want to get them on the card and it'd be nice if he could go out there look awesome win get the crowd all fired up it helps that it's not like you have to look really hard to find people on the roster that this guy could beat because chad that boy good that boy is good that he's very boy good good Maybe uh, Western Australia has sort of an Ohio State thing going on where you have to <laughs> refer to them as the Ohio State mm-hmm. University. You have to say that Perth, not just in Australia, but Western Australia. And hey, man, in their defense, Australia is really big. It is big. So maybe you, maybe you want to. Uh, and I, maybe just for like, a, as you said, board or tourism situation, you don't want people to go to the other side of Australia thinking they're just going to jaunt over to Perth. Yeah. You do have to, because we don't know shit. If to you're trying to play to like a North American audience or whatever, like a foreign audience that you want to try to lure in for the tourism dollars, we don't know where the hell anything is. We don't know that if we're thinking about the main places that people go in Australia, that they're all kind of located on the same side and that, in fact, it is not exactly a quick or easy journey to get over to the other side. We don't know shit. You got to tell us. I understand the thinking there. Yeah, and specifically to the ghost of Ned Kelly's question as to how uh, flat-nosed Jackie would stack up against the top guys in his weight class at the moment. Uh, I can't presume to answer that question with any authority, but I will say this. I bet we're going to find out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Seems like a safe bet that at some point we will find out if Jack Della Maddalena can stack up with the top 170-pound fighters in the world. We do enjoy hearing, though, from the ghost of Australian bush ranger, outlaw, gang leader, and convicted police murderer, Ned Kelly. I don't yeah. know if you know this, yeah. Chad. One of the last bush rangers, he's known for wearing a suit of bulletproof armor during his final shootout with the police. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, one of the kind of cool things about welterweight right now is that you have a number of exciting up-and-coming contenders, right? We all know you've got Shakma, uh, Shavkat Rachmanov and Kazmat Ch- Kamzat Chemaev. This is a whole, it's a damn tongue twister of a weight class. Yeah. And that, we haven't even got to Jack Della Maddalena yet. But, you know, those are three guys that you'd love to have at any weight class. There there you got them all at 170 pounds, and it seems like you might have a, uh, a cadre of title contenders in them young bucks. Not a bad problem to have. A lot of guys to choose from. Thanks. Next question this week comes to us from Percy Link on Patreon. He writes, uh, after listening to you guys recap the recent changes to UFC contracts, two things come to mind. Number one, how in the fuck do current fighters who have any kind of business acumen sign or renew their contracts with the UFC? They were already under the UFC's thumb as quote unquote independent contractors. But now, question mark. And number two, is the UFC possibly initiating its own downfall? Unless we don't know something about the class action lawsuit, lawsuit, what does the UFC have to fear? Fighters today already cow to their every demand, but will this be the final straw please discourse love you both equally now we talked about this on friday during the power hour ben but i'll recap just briefly here for people who haven't read the anton tobuena and john s nash story over on bloody elbow which you should do by the way if you're at all interested in the business practices of mixed martial arts it is uh major changes to ufc contracts and more restrictions add more restrictions waiver to prevent class action lawsuits basically the UFC altered its existing contracts, essentially seemingly to try to gain back some of the ground that they had given up in the previous alterations to their contract. And so what they did here was they did a number of things. They added uh, an arbitration clause, which we see in some other sports, but now the UFC has one where 
uh, you kind of, when you sign a contract, say you're not going to take them to court and any uh, problem you might have with the UFC is going to be settled in arbitration, which has a number of advantages if you are the UFC. Uh, They also have you sign now a waiver that says you won't get in on any collective action and lawsuits against the UFC. Retroactively. Yeah, that's the crazy So, So if you sign that and you would be entitled to uh, some amount of damages, especially stemming from the Johnson versus Zufa lawsuit, which I believe was fired and filed in 2017. You wouldn't get those now if you sign this contract. Uh, and they have added the tolling provision, which was one of the thing that was super controversial about the earlier UFC contracts, where basically it says if they offer you a fight and you are a fighter and you turn it down for any reason, including but not limited to you are hurt and can't fight, This gives them the option to extend your contract for up to six months or until they find a bout for you, whichever is longer. Uh, And they also have extended the sunset clause in the contract. That is the full amount of time that you will be under contract to the UFC, no matter how many times you fight or what. Uh, So this, you know, these are potentially major changes to the UFC contract that stand to affect fighters lives a lot in the in the long term. But Just to specifically answer Percy Link's question here, the way that current fighters who have any kind of business acumen renew their contracts with the UFC is A, they don't really have any other choice, and B, uh, whether or not to, to renew your UFC contract is often tied to your own personal uh fortunes your own journey like a lot of times you know i think they tried to do this to nate diaz right they offer you the fight that you want and they say if you take this fight you are going to sign an x fight extension to your contract i mean i don't think it's a coincidence that john jones is going to make his heavyweight debut against cyril gone coming up here and he also filed signed excuse me an eight fight extension with the ufc they probably told him hey man you want this fight pony up with the extension that's a uh, standard operating procedure for the UFC. Yeah, and I understand the question, which is how do you look at this and be like, man, you guys have decided to tilt it even more in your favor and you want me just to go ahead and sign? I mean, how did you justify signing it before if you had any business yeah. sense? And the way you did is because, like you said, if you wanted to fight in the UFC, they could tell you take it or leave it. And usually the way they get you is that they get you locked in early when you are not anybody and – it's not like it's impossible to fight out those early contracts and go make a move. We see people do it. We've seen people do it, in fact, with more frequency than we ever used to. It used to be that somebody saying, I'm going to go ahead and fight out my contract, even though you're trying to resign me, was tantamount to going to war with the UFC. And they treated it that way. They treated it as it was an aggressive move, and they were going to do their best to make it bad on you on your way out the door. And... We know that. we we That's one of the things, in fact, that we saw in discovery uh, during the antitrust lawsuits was we saw these text messages back and forth between matchmakers and UFC executives saying like, hey, we're going to offer to extend him. If he doesn't want that, then we're going to here's how we're going to screw him over as a result. And that's exactly the kind of stuff that the whole thing of putting in an arbitration clause is meant to avoid is us finding out about shit like that. Because if it goes to arbitration instead of to a courtroom, then we have a much harder time getting our hands on some of that information and learning all the things that we've learned through that process. So that's one of the big benefits of that for the UFC. But I, it's the fact that the, all the like, what would it take? What would be the clause where UFC fighters would go? Okay, now that I cannot sign. 
In good conscience, I cannot agree to that. What would it take, honestly? Because if you think yeah. about how one-sided the contracts already are, and the UFC just leaning on their power to be like, hey, take it or leave it. Um, and when you do take it, you're probably just because you don't have a whole lot of other options. And if you do think you get better options later on, we've structured the contracts to make it hard for you to get out of here when you want to and go take some other deal. What would be the thing that would be the backbreaker as a clause where a whole bunch of people would stand up and say, no, I'm not doing it. Yeah. It's hard to imagine. Frank, Frankly, we've been waiting our whole lives for something to be the last straw for UFC fighters. And we've asked that question seemingly a thousand times over the years. Will this be the, the final straw? Will this be the thing that breaks the camel's back? Will this be the thing that finally convinces UFC fighters to either try to unionize or to stand up in some way against the increasing power that the UFC wields over their lives? And the answer every single time has been no. So I don't expect it to be yes anytime soon. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Patrick Milder, also over on Patreon. He says, my wife's favorite fighter, Aaron Blanchfield, with a big fight next weekend against Jessica Andrade. We are hyped for next week's fights. Woo. Now, this is the only time that we'll have the opportunity, at least right here on the proper, to, to talk about Saturday's upcoming fight night event that, it, as Pat said here, is headlined by Jessica Andrade. Or no, I'm sorry. Uh, Jessica. Yeah, Jessica Andrade versus Aaron Blanchfield. Uh, they... I was confused there for a second because they have had to make multiple changes at the top of the card. It was originally supposed to be Marlon Vera against uh, Corey Sandhagen in the main event here, but they moved that fight down to uh, UFC on ESPN event a little bit down the road. And as a result, they tried to make Tyler Santos versus Aaron Blanchfield, but uh, Santos withdrew due to personal reasons and now has been replaced by Jessica Andrade. So they don't even have a new poster for this thing up on Wikipedia. I'm still looking at a picture of Talia Santos squaring off with Aaron Blanchfield. Uh, so this is among the, the lowest profile fight night events that we have seen. And that is saying something as many of the current <laughs> UFC fight nights are low profile. Although I guess you can say in defense of this one, this isn't normally or initially what they planned for. And number two, Aaron Blanchfield is a person that they've been trying to do something with or that they see a future in. And so to put her into a main event slot here is not the worst thing in the world for the UFC. No. And you know what? I'm, I'm glad to hear Patrick Myler say, you know, his wife's favorite fighter. So they're excited about the fight night. Cause I was like, I had a feeling in my bones somewhere in the world, somebody was excited for this fight night. Now we found him. It's Patrick Milder and his wife. So, good. The search is over now. We know who it is. We found the fans. Both of them. They're there. Uh, Everybody else, you know, I'm going to catch this one on Sunday. I am not sitting through all the UFC filler just for this because I'm interested in uh, Aaron Blanchfield versus Jessica Andrade. I think it's kind of a tough fight for Aaron Blanchfield, honestly, but all this other stuff, I mean, it was Jim Miller versus TBD as late as the middle of last week. We yeah. got Alexander Hernandez in there last minute. So like, finally we, we know who it is, but you look up and down this one. This is some, just some fights ass shit. It sure is. You got a couple of recognizable names on here. Ovin St. Prue fighting on the prelims against uh, Felipe Linz in a light heavyweight fight. William Knight, you know, he's going to bring the whole weight room with mm-hmm. him, yeah. as he always does. He is in a light heavyweight fight on the main card. And as you mentioned, Jim Miller against Alexander Hernandez. Other than that, 
it's a bit of a ghost town yeah. on this card. Yep. All right, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, Ben, I am going to start this round off with a piece of listener mail that we received from Gloria Clemente, a character from White Men Can't Jump. And Gloria <laughs> writes, sometimes when you win, you really lose. Mm. And sometimes when you lose, you really win. And sometimes when you win or lose, you actually tie. And sometimes when you tie, you actually win or lose. Forget the tie business. I actually feel Islam won the fight and Volk improves his status as pound for pound best. Uh, so, you know, that just goes to show a lot of different opinions here on who should have won UFC 284's main event, the super fight between lightweight champion Islam Mahachev and rightful featherweight champ Alexander Volkanovsky. We're going to talk about the decision and the controversy and the IV thing coming up in round number two. But we got to start out by saying before we go any step of the way further, this was a fucking outstanding fight. It is a stone cold lead pipe lock to be a fight of the year contender. And if you haven't seen it, you played yourself. Go back and watch it. It's outstanding. It's amazing. It really did look every step of the way like you had the two best pound for pound fighters in the world fighting each other. And it is basically a sprint for 25 minutes. I don't think I could possibly recommend it anymore. Stridently. If you watch one UFC fight all year, probably go back and watch Islam Mahachev versus Alexander Volkanovsky. And you know what surprised me the most here, Ben folks, we talked a lot about what the obvious strengths and weaknesses between these two guys were. And we theorized and as everybody did throughout that if Islam Mahachev could work his wrestling game, he would be successful. And if Alexander Volkanovsky could keep it on the feet, he would be successful. And to a certain extent, that was true. But the most surprising thing to me about this whole fight was the extent to which both guys afforded themselves better than expected in the other guy's strengths. Yeah. Because Islam Mahachev did way better in the striking than I expected. And Alexander Volkanovsky did way better than I thought he would do. 
with his defensive wrestling. So both these guys showed up, and I think they said after, underestimating the other guy in his strength in the, what is supposed to be the other fighter's uh, wheelhouse. So that alone is impressive that we saw that. And then you, you factor in everything else, and I don't even know what to say, man. It was just the best example of mixed martial arts that you could possibly put on right now. Yeah, and it seemed like it was several different fights over the course of this one fight. You know, as as we like to say, these guys packed a whole lot of living into five rounds and 25 minutes. And so it felt like you were just watching an ebb and flow that was changing as the fight went on. And you were watching them both have to try to adjust and figure out what what it was going to take to win this fight or to, to get back in it at some points, to stop yourself from just being absolutely finished and, and run over at other points. It was really interesting to watch just like how they're both reacting to each other and the things that they're both sort of learning. Because I think early on, you looked at it and you thought like, all right, kind of as expected, Alexander Volkanovsky is still going to, he's going to find some openings, but he's going to have to kind of create them. He's going to have to really manage the distance well against the bigger guy. And he's landing, he's chipping away here and there, but then Islam would fire back and you'd realize, okay, one of these guys has the potential to change this whole thing with one shot. And the other guy doesn't seem like he exactly has that. And then you would also see Islam baiting Alexander Volkanovsky into overcommitting at times and making some of the takedowns really easy. And But then as the fight wore on, it's like suddenly those takedowns aren't happening anymore. Some, suddenly, even when you're getting into the position that you want to get into, you're, you're, you're changing the level, you're getting in on his hips, you're doing all the things where you think you ought to be able to finish that takedown, which you were early in the fight, now you're not anymore. Now he's stopping yeah. you. Um, and now he's threatening to get on top. And it's like watching that sort of shift take place in real time was really interesting. And also watching how, you know, you get to round four here and Alexander Volkanovsky is looking like he could do this all night. If, yeah. it's, if, they, if this were a finish fight like they used to do, if this were just we're going to keep doing rounds until somebody can't go anymore, Alexander Volkanovsky looks like he is built exactly for that. And Islam Mahachev was fading. You could see it. Yeah. You could see it by round four. You could see it especially with how they'd get in some positions and Islam Mahachev would just kind of think, you know what, I'm going to hang out here for a while. I'm not really doing a whole lot. I don't really have a ton of offense for here, but we're going to chill. We're just going to chill right now and not work so hard against this guy. And by the end of it, Islam is holding on for dear life, clinging to driftwood in a storm. And Alexander Volkanovsky looks like he'd go five more. It's there's a stark difference by the end of that fight. And it felt like, you know, this, this is the kind of the point of the championship rounds and all this stuff, the extra time to work is to see how this fight would develop. Uh, if given enough time to go, this is one of the rare fights where by the end of it, I wish we had two more, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I mentioned both of these guys, formidable physical tools a second ago, but probably the most impressive, the single most impressive thing on display in this fight, as you just mentioned, was Alexander Volkanovsky's cardio. Uh, and I know that they mentioned it several times on the broadcast, but this is a guy who basically never stops moving. He is constantly switching stances. He is constantly fainting. He is constantly circling. And you're right. It looked like he could have gone an additional 10 minutes. Frankly, 
I don't know that I've ever seen a fighter who converses with his own corner between rounds as much as Alexander Volkanovsky. They are in there like telling him to do stuff. And he's just like, like he's waiting for a bus with a newspaper folded across his lap. He's kind of like, oh, well, what did you think about this? Uh, Well, do you think uh, think I should try this combo or something? But normally you can't fucking breathe. You're waiting for someone to pour a water bottle with the monster energy sticker on it into your mouth so you can just get a little bit of water and take a breath and then get back out there and fight alexander volkanovsky is sitting over there like he and eugene bearman are playing chess in the park and having a conversation over the top of the board it's unbelievable yeah normally you're out there trying to find your damn waterfall in the yeah. the precious 60 <laughs> Make seconds sure your butterflies rounds. are flying in formation yeah and you're right when it when we do get into having conversations about what we did and what we need to be doing it's usually a one-way street and instead he's having an actual conversation there's a give and take so real meeting of the minds happening there and you're right that, that struck me too because it's just so unusual to see but also to see how uh, there were moments in this fight where i thought is he in danger of getting too caught up in the moment of getting too excited. You know, the crowd is obviously behind him and it was an awesome entrance to watch him come out to land down under, watch how much the the crowd loved him and supported him there. And he was definitely giving it back to them. There's times where he's talking to Islam's uh, corner, times where, you know, he's landing and then telling Islam, yeah, let's go and doing a lot of talking in there in some of these exchanges. And it just kind of felt like, I was worried for him. I was like, are you going to get too swept up in some of this stuff? Uh, and in in the moment, either through excitement or through uh, getting into some kind of rivalry shit with Islam in his corner, make a mistake and end up costing yourself the fight. But it seemed like he can do all that and still be so calm. still be so, so yeah. composed throughout the fight uh, and definitely not expending too much emotional energy in a way that's going to harm his cardio. Because he seemed like he, he was barely even tired by the end of five rounds. Uh, that, to me, yeah. is really rare and impressive. What did you make of the Alexander Volkanovsky? I guess I would call them antics. You know, when Mahachev had him down, especially in the fourth round, I think he's he's got the back mount. He's got a body triangle locked up, and he's going. He's hunting for a, a submission. And basically, Alexander Volkanovsky, for one, is, is nonstop talking to him punching him in the face over his shoulder yeah, and grinning to the crowd as if to say, this, this ain't no thing. I'm fine. No big deal. That's fun to watch. And in the moment, as you happen to see it live, you know, while the fight is actually going on, it's unbelievable that a guy is doing that in the fourth round of a UFC championship super fight against the lightweight champion. But is there, I don't want to know that it's a distraction or what, but it's also like, should he be trying to do something else with yeah. that time? Should he be trying to get up instead of, uh, you know, playing to the crowd like that? Well, uh, this is interesting. The the quotes, I don't know if you saw this from the press conference where people were asking, what are you saying to him? Because clearly when he's in the body lock, he's punching over his shoulder uh, and he's doing a lot of talking to Islam there. He says, quote, it's getting in his head. Even when he had me, I'm going, you're not that strong. I was saying stuff like that. And he was going, you're just hanging on. And I would go, you said 15 seconds. You're going to drag me to deep waters. That type of stuff. I remember that stuff. As I go, he was hanging on for dear life. So it's just stuff like that. Not being disrespectful. He's still in a good position. So it's up to me to get out of there. But I'm going to get in his head and just kept punching him in the head. And he says, I guess a body lock is a dominant position. So the ref just kind of leaves him there. He was just hanging on and trying to hide his head. I was just letting him know. Just like telling him, you're trying to survive in certain positions that's all i was saying now i guess it's like 
those are, are definitely interesting moments to look back on when you get into a question about who deserved to win the decision, which, yeah. you know, I feel like is a... You could tell it was a close enough fight and there were enough emotions on both sides, enough people. But people really didn't come into this one kind of even split just hoping for a good fight out of both guys. You know, people came yeah. in there. Volkanovsky is such a likable guy. People are also very excited about Islam Mahachev and the potential he has to be sort of like the next Khabib. So people already had their loyalty sorted out. That can't help but color your perceptions. And when it's a close fight, people are going to be upset either way and going to continue debating it. But it is the kind of thing where you think back on where you're like, if we come down to the scoring of one round here or there, and you chose to stay in the body lock instead of trying to get out of it, and you're talking, punching him in the head, but also feeling like you're not exactly winning in that moment, do you, do you regret that later on? Do you wish yeah. you had fought a little more with the judges in mind rather than, you know, getting caught up in the the, the feeling of the, the moment trying to get in his head? Well, one of the interesting things is, and perhaps this will be a segue into our discussion in round two, by the letter of the law, the way that the current UFC and MMA scoring criteria is listed, I have a zero idea as a judge, how you are supposed to score a situation where one guy has the back mount with the body lock and is trying to get a submission and the other guy keeps punching him in the face over his shoulder. Because as the the, the rules are actually written, I don't think any of that is supposed to even count. So what are we doing? What are we doing for half the round down there? Letting that happen. If anything, according to the way the rules are written, Alexander Volkanovsky is probably actually winning that exchange, which is wrong. (laughs) I mean, like it shouldn't be that way, but if you're scoring damage and striking before everything else, and Alexander Volkanovsky keeps punching the guy over his shoulder, it seems like he's winning, even though according to the rules, perhaps those aren't impactful strikes, which is what you're supposed to be scoring. So I'm just sitting over here being like, I have no fucking idea how you're supposed to evaluate this situation. Yeah, and it's like to say that Islam Mahachev there was working on a submission, not really. He never even really got close to anything. He's he's hand fighting, looking for the opportunity, like the opening to the choke. But if the guy has one hand free to punch you in the head over his own shoulder, and he is not ever in a position where he's really having to fight off a choke that's actually around his neck, then you're not close. You're not at all close to finish that. You, you and he was mostly holding on there because he's not making, he's not gaining any sort of ground in terms of setting up a submission or anything. And there were other options he could have tried to transition to, uh, like the commentary was even mentioning, like oh, you know, he could transition to an armbar here and then being like, yeah, but he didn't want to, he didn't want to do that much. He wants yeah. to hang out here. He's got a good position. Volkanovski can't really get out from there. He seems like especially that being uh, late in the fight, he wanted to rest and hang out there and not have to work so hard for a little while. Um, And it is tough to know exactly how to score something like that. Uh, But it is also like if you come out of that one and you go, I lost 48-47 on two scorecards, he was tired at that point in the fight. If I had focused on let's take the next 20 seconds and think about getting out of here rather than agree to stay here, which is what he wants – uh, and, you know, just kind of fuck with him in a way that the crowd likes, but in a way you know the judges are not going to reward, whether they should or not. You know they're not going to. Yeah. That that might have been the difference, you know? Yeah. 
All right, we'll talk about that a lot more coming up in round number two. But before we do that, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, Chad, I hate to do this to him right after Islam Mahachev, you know, defended for the first time his UFC lightweight title, beat uh, the pound-for-pound number one in Alexander Volkanovsky. Um, you know, you want to just feel good about the guy, celebrate his win there, but then he shows up afterwards and he says, quote, it doesn't matter how I won today. Now I'm not just champion. I'm the best fighter in the world. I'm very happy. Now people are going to call me not just champ, but best fighter in the world. This is my dream, and it doesn't matter how I won. I'm very happy. That's where I got to go. Is that true, though? <laughs> that, you, that it doesn't matter how you won? That this is how people are going to refer to you now? Is that is it true, though? Because I don't know if it's true. In this specific instance, I don't know if... As you were laying there in the fifth round, in the final 60 seconds, after having been clipped with that right hand, we can see your your face all swole up. You're just clinging onto the guy's arms, uh, staring up at the clock as if willing the time to tick away faster. I don't know if that was the kind of finish to the fight that gets people to be like, now that's the best fighter in the world. No question. Yeah. That's how we must refer yeah. to him. You fucking kidding me with that? That's, that's how you feel like... You got up at the end of that fight and you went, well, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Now no Amen. one can deny that I am the best fighter in the world after seeing me like that. Are you kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Well, Ben, I feel like it's put up or shut up time for the cocaine bear. <laughs> okay, say more. I feel like we've been hearing about the cocaine bear for like two years. Yeah. From the time that... The first trailer dropped to Saturday night when the Cocaine Bear, perhaps the most unsurprising sponsor for a UFC pay-per-view of all time. We need to get the <laughs> Cocaine Bear out there in theaters, over and done with. I feel about the Cocaine Bear like I feel is or uh, Alexander Volkanovsky feels about this upcoming fight with Yair Rodriguez, where he said, let's just get it over and done with. I feel that way about the cocaine bear. The cocaine bear needs to show us what he's made of. Ben, we've been, I'm hearing a lot of bumping gums, lips flapping about the cocaine bear. And I, I need to see some action from the cocaine bear. I need to see what the cocaine bear is all about. And then let's he move him along his merry way. Are you fucking kidding me enough with the cocaine bear? I mean, it sounds like you're falling right into their trap because it sounds like what you're saying is you need to see. The cocaine bear movie for yourself, and that's yeah, kind of no, the goal I'm, of all this. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm, it's you know a little less talk and a lot more action from the cocaine bear. That's what I need. It did feel though the the moment I heard a sentence along the lines of UFC 284 brought to you by Cocaine Bear, I went, Yeah, God bless John Anik for doing those promos during the fights. <laughs> this this is always where it was headed. You know, from the moment <laughs> the, the UFC was created, before Cocaine Bear even existed, the UFC laid in wait for him. It was it was always gonna it was always leading to this to a UFC event brought to you by Cocaine Bear, a sentence that just would have uh, melted your mind five years ago, but now makes perfect sense in every possible way. Fucking kidding me? Yeah. It's also one of those moments where, like, you're watching the UFC and your wife wanders into the room and she hears John Anik say, UFC 248 is brought to you by Cocaine Bear. And she's just like, <laughs> this is what I thought it was, she thinks, and wanders out of the room. And you have to be like, I mean, it's not, I don't, nah, never mind. It's exactly what I assumed you were up to. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's time for the Cocaine Bear 
to show us what he's made of. It's we've seen enough. It's time for him to buttonhole us at a nightclub and spend 45 minutes explaining to us the idea he has for a clothing boutique. That's, you know, I want the cocaine bear to do the cocaine bear thing. I'm done hearing about it. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me? All right, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Jed, you knew as soon as the final horn blew in Perth, Western Australia, that we were probably going to end up arguing about this decision. Sure enough, it goes unanimous in favor of Islam Mahachev, 48-47, 48-47, 49-46. You know, Alexander Volkanovsky is about as cool about it as anybody could possibly be. Because you knew people in Perth, Western Australia were not going to be super supportive of that decision after that fight. And Alexander Volkanovsky was just like, hey, you know what? I had a good time. I'm glad I came. And <laughs> even afterwards, when he goes and he watches it, and then he has a chance to say, oh, I think here's the three rounds that I won. But either way, let's do it again, brother. Um, we think we already have the kind of controversy we know what to do with, where close fight, we're going to argue about it. Some people are going to lose all perspective, going to claim it was a robbery. People are going to be mad in every possible direction about it. We, we're, we're accustomed to that. Then you're going to wake up on Monday morning and agent of chaos, Dan Hooker, has got on his <laughs> Twitter and thrown another wrench into the machinery here when he... Uh, lays out a series of accusations that Islam Mahachev got an illegal IV after his weight cut, after weigh-ins to rehydrate himself, and that how, how dare he think he could come over there to Australia, hire a nurse to give him an IV, and the the, the people in Alexander Volkanovsky's inner circle and in his camp, that they wouldn't find out about it because they know what goes on in all of Australia. Um and so now we're we're all sitting over here on Monday being like, all right, how how angry do you expect us to get over one guy on Twitter saying another guy got an IV to rehydrate after the weight cut? Yeah. It just I felt like I was I enjoyed the fight, even if I wanted maybe I, I felt like my heart wanted Volkanovsky to win. I was super impressed by his performance. I could also see how you score it for Islam Mahachev. I, I don't have a problem with that scoring at all. It seems like it's the kind of fight where it could go either way. And then you throw this at me and I just kind of go, you know what? No, I, w- I will not be participating in this. You do yeah. you. Thank you. I'm out, though. Yeah, uh, I want to get to the IV thing in a second. But, I, you know, as far as how this fight was scored, every round was very close. And there were several rounds that... Again, like I said during our last round, I wasn't sure how you're supposed to score them. And I honestly feel like sometimes 
the current MMA judging criteria only muddies the waters to me according to how you are supposed to score individual rounds. And it is eternally and continues to be frustrating that the UFC broadcast team doesn't seem to understand what the uh, judging criteria are because they are still full on talking about control time and when you're supposed to get a takedown in a round and all this stuff. And none of that stuff by the letter of the law is supposed to count anymore, even though I don't like it. Even though I don't think that's how you should score an MMA fight, I think sometimes one guy is clearly winning and the other guy does the one thing that is supposed to score points, according to the judges, and you end up getting a score that doesn't necessarily accurately reflect the action in the fight. Yeah. But even if you go by how they're supposed to do it, every round here was close. If you wanted to tell me that you thought Alexander Volkanovsky won two, three, and five, Fine. He very well could have. If you want to tell me he won round one, I think you could you could tell me that. But I don't know, man. They were all very, very close. And if, sometimes you're going to get yourself into a close fight, no matter how you, you deem that we're supposed to score it. And there's going to be some uh, argument about it. And I think it's it speaks a lot about Alexander Volkanovsky's performance that Islam Mahachev won the fight. And then we spent the entirety of our first round on this show pretty much talking about Volkanovsky. So that that says a lot, too, but I don't know. I don't see how you could make the case that Islam Mahachev didn't deserve to win this fight. I just think it was very close, and he probably did a little more. Yeah, I think that what we are really reacting to is that we have all this stuff in our heads about he's coming up from a weight class below. And sort of like in Pride, how they used to have the rule and the judging criteria that, and for them it was something crazy, but it's like fighters are separated by more than 25 pounds in weight. You know, the judges will tilt in that guy's, in the the smaller guy's favor because we appreciate him taking this one, basically. Uh, And we realize that he's, he's picking himself a tough challenge, which is exactly what we said about Volkanovsky headed into this fight, that it was awesome that we were getting to see two guys in their prime, a real number one versus number two, um, and that somebody who is a dominant champion in his weight class, instead of just staying home and continuing to fight a, a pretty tough conveyor belt of guys that the UFC could still bring you at featherweight, he wanted to go up, face a really tough champion, wasn't going up because... Tim Sylvia suddenly became champion, wasn't going up, you know, because he saw somebody beatable the way we've seen it done in the past, but was going up to face somebody who, in terms of the style and just the overall ability level, we went, that's a tough one. And he chose it for himself. And so I think that when he showed up for this fight, we were already willing to cut him a little bit of slack. And we went, this could be a tough one for your boy Volk. This could be a bad night for him. And so then when he not only is competitive in the fight, doesn't get steamrolled, but has some really good moments, we are willing to put a little more weight on those moments because we had all this stuff already in our heads before the fight even started. And I'm not saying that that stuff isn't legit, and it is genuinely impressive. I mean, that's why this one was a, a good, like a really interesting one to watch. Is because we went, I don't know what's going to happen. We've always underestimated this guy, especially because of his size. He comes in as a three-to-one dog and ends the night with us talking about whether he deserved to win or not. But it's also tricky because, you know, kind of like you said, anytime you have a thing where one guy seems like he is winning more of the fight, but the other guy has more of the big moments in the fight, especially toward the end, you come away at the end of that fifth round with one guy huffing and puffing and holding on and the other guy still bouncing around and raining down blows. 
and it just feels emotionally difficult for you to look at the, the guy who still looks like he could go and, and be like, he's the loser here. It, we're just not really built for that. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess as it pertains to the IV, I, for the most part, agree with you. Uh, it just it kicks dirt in the face of a very, very good fight. I think kind of needlessly. Um, and I guess I will go ahead and reveal myself again to be a guy who has in, evolved and changed in many ways as to my thinking about performance enhancers and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And I know that according to USADA, sometimes guys use IVs to mask performance enhancing drug use. But I'm just out here saying we are asking these guys to terribly dehydrate their bodies in many cases, in order to make weight. So I guess my question is, should rehydrating with an IV be illegal? Should it be? I mean, I'm a... Should it be? I'm going to blow everybody's minds by telling you right now, a lot of guys are doing that. Because when do you ever hear about USADA really getting people for it? For one thing, it's super tough. Because it's like, how are you going to get them? Either you're going to see... You're going to catch them with it, you know, kick down the door of the hotel room while they're sitting in there and they got the IV bag clipped to the lampshade, as I have seen fighters do in the pre-USADA days. Uh, you're going to see the the mark left in their arm, maybe, and which they could probably try to explain a way around. Or you're going to actually look in the test specimen and test for the plasticizer, which is how they've gotten cyclists and stuff in the past. And I could see how in, like, in cycling, it's a, it's a different... Uh, the, the level of importance placed on that IV ban is different because they are saying like, this is how we're catching guys. Blood doping is that we are finding the plasticizer and that's what they are using the IV for. And with fighters, it's everybody's damn near killing themselves to make weight. That's just kind of a, the tradition. That's just kind of how it goes. And then they're trying to quickly rehydrate so that their bodies are feel good for the fight. And so it's on one hand, it is hard for me to be like, I'm mad at this guy for trying to be as hydrated as possible. I totally get the argument if you say, hey, if Volkanovsky doesn't get to do it, you don't get to do it. If one guy's playing by the rules and you're not, then you're getting an advantage. I also think that it's kind of a silly rule, especially in the the post-weigh-in time period in the first place. And so, I don't know. It also, it's kind of a, if you don't really have proof, it's kind of a dick move to go out there and say, this guy hired a nurse, he, we found out about it, what a dirty cheater. Because now you put him in a position where if he didn't do it, how could he prove that? You can't You can't prove a negative, you can't prove that I did not do, like, ever receive an IV. There's no way. You, you're, so you're sticking that on the guy, and who knows how solid that proof is as of the time of this recording. If it's just yeah. hearsay... Uh, if, if you got something on paper, you know, it's hard for me to imagine that you got the, the rock solid proof on this one. And if you don't, then you are creating a a controversy that sort of like attempt to diminish the guy's accomplishments, uh, without really having anything super solid to go on. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm just kind of saying if we are going to impose this system that essentially forces people to cut a lot of weight to get into their weight class or, you know, uh, I guess promotes an idea that they should cut a lot of weight to get into their weight class. Maybe giving them a little extra hydration after it happens is not a bad thing. Maybe after you hit the scale, you should walk in the back and the UFC should have a bunch of IVs there to be like, who all wants one of these? We'll plug you in and then we'll be fine for Saturday. 
Yeah, uh, and then you could be sure that we're not using it, you know, uh, to get away with something. That, and we could also be sure that uh, you're not going to fuck it up because it's going to be some coach of yours who's not a medical professional in any sense digging around in your arm looking for a vein. Yeah. Uh, all right, before we wrap up and move on to round number three where we will talk about Yair Rodriguez's win over Josh Emmett and perhaps a little bit more about what is next in the featherweight division. As I mentioned earlier, when Alexander Volkanovsky was asked in the post fight about fighting Yair Rodriguez, he was kind of like, fine, let's get it over and done with. And he himself mentioned going back to featherweight to reclaim his crown. But this fight was so close between Volkanovsky and Mahachev. It seems like a foregone conclusion that these guys will do it again, brother, that we will have a rematch at some point, especially and I know there are a million different ways for the future to play out in mixed martial arts. It is hard to predict. Anything could happen to either of these two guys. But if they both stay in their normal weight classes and continue to be as dominant against the guys from their normal weight classes as they have been, how could you not have the memory of UFC 284 stuck in your mind? How could you not remember how cool this fight was and how close it was to eventually say, Maybe we should do it again. Maybe we should try to do this one over again. And I tell you what, if they did it, if you told me tomorrow they were going to fight again, I don't even really know who would win. Yeah. And I do I do appreciate, though, you saying eventually. Not yeah. next, because I do think Islam Mahachev is still like considered sort of the new lightweight champion. I'd like to see him defended against a lightweight next. Alexander Volkanovsky clearly has business, which we'll get to. So... You're right. If we find ourselves in a situation a year from now where they have both fought and defeated guys in their own weight class and there's no super urgent pressing business that we think that they need to get to being like, well, you guys are both still on top of the mountain. And now that we know that it has a pretty good chance of being a competitive ass fight and a really good fight, maybe you get people even more excited about a rematch. Uh, and then even if you are spending your whole time promoting the slappy slap show instead of the actual pay-per-view, maybe it still doesn't matter because people are that excited about it just organically. Yeah. All right, that's going to wrap it up for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, Yair Rodriguez locks up the triangle choke on Josh Emmett about four minutes and 20 seconds into the second round of their interim men's featherweight championship fight in the co-main event of UFC 284. And that's a wrap. Your new champ, Yair Rodriguez, who now seems to be on a collision course with Alexander Volkanovsky in what I believe would be a very cool and interesting fight. Uh, but let's talk about this one first, because this was one of those fights where Yair Rodriguez seemed to be pretty much handing it to Josh Emmett for most of the fight, except Josh Emmett hits really hard. So every now and then you would be reminded of that when he would clock Yair Rodriguez and Yair Rodriguez would have to have a, whoa, wait a minute yeah. moment. Uh, and he would back off and then Josh Emmett would have his his times, you know, and it seemed like we were having one of those 
with Josh Emmett on top in the second round, frankly. And then Yair Rodriguez proves he's dangerous with the submissions too. So I don't know. I thought this, this alone was a fun fight and I'm excited, frankly, about the future of Yair Rodriguez and a potential fight with Alex Volkanovsky. Yeah, this was a really fun stylistic matchup because you could see Yair Rodriguez. If you stand at a certain range from that guy and give him time to work, he's going to get loose and you don't want that because he's going to come He's going to come up with something. Something that is bad news for you. He's not trying to do you any favors out there, and he's going to figure something out. And he's not afraid to just go for shit, man. Even when he was getting clocked every once in a while coming in there, he's still doing it. He still re- continues to do shit, like throwing these spinning heel kicks, jumping knees, even if he gets taken down. He's going to be out there trying stuff, and I appreciate the hell out of that. That is super fun to watch, even at times when you're watching it and going, ooh, I don't know if that was a great idea, man. Or like, I personally, after the way he clipped you on the top of the head there, I think you ought to be a little more careful, but he's not going to be, and it makes for a whole lot of fun when you're on the couch watching him. I tell you what, though, I did not sit there and be like, you know what, Yair Rodriguez's best best path to victory here is probably getting taken down and then locking up a triangle choke off his back. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 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 a fair assessment. I feel like Yair Rodriguez is kind of an interesting guy in the UFC and particularly in this featherweight division because when he first broke into the company in 2014, he won the Ultimate Fighter Latin America. Uh, it looked like he was ticketed for championship gold. It looked like he was a future champion. And as everybody knows, he has kind of had his ins and outs with the UFC at one point, like, didn't we think he got fired? He was out the door. He's going to go fight somewhere else. And then it turned out that no, in fact, he was not, he would be back. Then he had the sort of protracted feud with Jeremy Stevens back in 2019. So, you know, in the landscape of things, I feel like Yaya Rodriguez is kind of a guy you forget about sometimes because yeah. he has not been terribly active. He, you know, he's been, sometimes on the outs with the UFC, but now you look at him, he's been in the UFC for a decade an uninterrupted uninterrupted decade he is 15 3 and 1 overall now he is the interim featherweight champion and honestly i was surprised to see from Yair, Yair Rodriguez that he is 10 2 and 1 in his entire ufc career he is he has been very very good with a slew of performance of the night and fight of the night bonuses including this one where he was given a performance of the night bonus and his only two losses are max holloway and frankie edgar like that's that's impressive. I think I feel like you forget sometimes how impressively Yair Rodriguez can be. Yeah, and how the UFC was going to let him walk uh, and uh, decided maybe we don't need this guy. I mean, th- this guy is an important fighter in the division at this point. There's really no way to argue that. Plus, he's just fun as hell to watch, man. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Uh, and you know what else is fun and likable about Yair Rodriguez. How about him tapping out Josh Emmett with a triangle choke and then immediately administering a pep talk yeah. to Josh Emmett? Like right away. As soon as he as soon as he let him go, he could tell that Josh Emmett was bummed and sat right up and was like, No, nah, man, you're really good. Like you it was going great. You had a heck of a fight. Yeah, okay. This it is a really interesting because in that moment I was like what are you saying to him? Because he's it was immediate, you're right, and very impassioned. You could tell, like it was very he really had something he wanted to say to him. And you could hear you could tell that Josh Emmett from his body language is just kind of like, maybe now is not the time <laughs> that he really wanted to hear it. But here's uh yeah, you're Rodriguez's quote on This is a really important moment for us. And when I finished the triangle, I could see in his expression the desperation of like, fuck, I lost. It's like he saw his opportunity go away. But I just wanted to say to him, No, I told him, no, no, hey, no, stop that thinking that you have right now. 
now. You're a warrior. You will overcome this. You got this. So the only thing I could say to him was, you're a warrior, brother. We find a way to stand up every time we fall to the ground. So I am sure he will do that and stay strong. And I'm sure we'll see each other in the future. So stay strong, brother. Which, you know what? Damn it, that, that warms the goddamn heart right there. And still, though, I don't know if Josh Emmett was in a position where that was what he where he was ready to hear it right then. Yeah, maybe, maybe catch him in the locker room afterwards. Beer. Yeah. Take him out for lunch the following week and give him that <laughs> message. But like I said before, if we are now indeed set for a Yair Rodriguez, Alexander Volkanovsky featherweight title fight, I think Alexander Volkanovsky probably handles the range and maybe just has too many skills for Yair Rodriguez. But hashtag will watch. Yep. Tell me when it is going to be, and I will be in my seat to see it because it seems like it would be fun as hell. Yeah, I would be interested to see what it's like for Alexander Volkanovsky to go back down and wait. Uh, you know, we've heard people express some concern about the ease with which they could put on the weight, take off the weight, go up and down. I mean, the 10 pound difference between featherweight and lightweight maybe is not as daunting as it is to go from like 170 to 185 or to go up from 205 to heavyweight or something. It'll be interesting to see what he looks like to go back down, but just style wise, matchup wise, that one seems like there's no way that it's not a whole lot of fun. Yeah. I wonder if Alexander Volkanovsky will be content to go back to featherweight and reign there as a dominant champion, just because how could you not have in your mind how close you were yeah. to winning the lightweight championship, how close you were to being a, a champ champ, how close you were to retaining your number one pound for pound status. Uh, and he, like I said, in the post-fight interview, he, seemed like he wanted to go back to featherweight. He specifically mentioned the fight with Yair Rodriguez, but his comment about it, I think was like, let's just get it over with. Let's get it over and done as if to say, I'm a lock to definitely win it. And I need to get my title back. But also like, is, will he be content with that to just be the 145 pound champion without at some point chasing the riches at 155? Yeah. Maybe you're saying hard to keep him down on the farm once they fought at lightweight. <laughs> yeah. Yes, once once they've been to the big city and seen the lights, how do you keep them down on the farm? That's a, that's the best way to put it. All right, Ben, let's do just saying stuff, and then we will get out of here for this week. Uh, ben, what's your just saying stuff this week? Well, Chad, you know that your boy Israel Adesanya was in the house to, to catch all this excitement in Perth, Western Australia, and yeah, he's after, very excited afterwards. He is talking to the media about Francis Ngannou's situation, the contract negotiations with the UFC, him walking away as the heavyweight champion. Here's his quote. Francis made the right call. He's the one that kicked in the door. We've all been behind him. We've been saying this for how long? If you guys go back on the tapes, I've been saying the same thing. I'm not going to harp on it, but he's right. It's the little things. He's asking for things that should be mandatory. He wasn't asking for, you know, crazy, ridiculous, diva-ish demands. There's something as little as for the guys fighting on the opening bout, having the fourth or third corner man being paid for and the hotel is being paid for. That sets them up nicely and they don't have to fork it out of their 10 and 10 to pay for their fourth or third corner. Little things like that. He's not being a diva. He's asking for reasonable demands. And I felt like he should have got them. But again, yeah, what UFC President Dana White said, that's not how we do business. But the way we do business has to change, and it will change. He's just the guy to kick in the door, and you never know what the future holds. Maybe he comes back or something. So, Chad, I guess this week I'm just saying, if you feel like these are all reasonable demands, and that these things should be mandatory and shouldn't be have to be something that you go to battle with the UFC over trying to get, 
Uh, I'm just saying, why don't you guys all ask for it? Why doesn't it be a thing that you all do? Because maybe then, if you guys were all asking for it, then they would have to take it a little more seriously than just when one guy asks, everybody says, you know what, he's right, these are reasonable things to ask for, but you're not willing to take a stand over it the way he was. I'm just saying, what yeah. if you all did it? We might even just call that saying. collective action. <laughs> just saying. Uh, well, Ben, everybody knows I really like Anthony Smith. I think he is a very tough fighter, and he is actually a very, very good commentator. But this week, I'm just saying, maybe we let John Jones win even one fight in his new weight class before we start vocalizing that he could take the top pound for pound spot away from Islam Mahachev. It is a bit of a it's a bit of a more measured take from Anthony Smith than that. I admit, I am looking at uh, Damon Martin's story over on MMA Junkie where he says, I think Islam needs to hold on to that number one pound for pound spot really tightly right now because I think there's going to be a lot of different conversations if John Jones comes back and is even a small portion of what he was the last time we saw him. John Jones, this is his long anticipated move to heavyweight. He's been talking about it forever. But let's just let's just have him do it. Let's just let him do the long awaited move to heavyweight. And then if he's successful, then we'll talk about whether or not he should be the pound for pound number one. We we don't have to do it right now. We can wait just a couple months. I'm just saying, let's let him win. Let's let him win one fight at heavyweight, and then we'll talk about it. I'm just saying. Let him win as many as one fights. Just saying. In a different weight class. All right, that's gonna do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks to everybody for tuning in for the $20 patrons over on the Patreon page. We do have after hours coming up right now. Uh, We're excited about that. As for everybody else, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. For right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. We got to talk about this Jens Pulver video. Uh, They made the announcement that Jens Pulver is going into the UFC Hall of Fame over the weekend during this. And uh, as luck would have it, Jens Pulver seemed like he was live 